All right, welcome everyone. Thanks for being here. Thanks for making worship a priority on this Memorial Day weekend. And I want to give a special shout out to all of you who are joining us online. Thanks for being a part. As most of you know, we just finished a four-week message series called Criticizing Jesus, where we looked at different criticisms Jesus received during his earthly ministry to learn more about his character and about his heart and his priorities. But the goal wasn't just to learn more about Jesus. The goal was to learn how we can better follow the example of Jesus. And while I can't speak for any of you, I can tell you that I was challenged by each one of the messages. Uh, Next week, uh, as you know, we're going to begin a new message series that will last for five weeks called Ask Me Anything, where I am going to literally answer some of the questions that you have submitted through our website over the past few weeks. That list of questions has gotten longer and longer and longer, and it's pretty deep, and so uh, it's going to be a challenge, but I think it'll be a great time for all of us. But while we're in this in-between weekend, I want to spend some time talking to you about prayer, as you just heard in a message called Why We Pray. And I'm going to be honest with you as we begin. I've chosen this topic because I find that the older I get, and some of you can probably relate to this, the older I get, the longer my prayer list gets. Can some of you relate to that? The longer my prayer list gets because there are so many things, so many serious things that I'm praying about for my family, for my church family, and for other people that I love and care about that sometimes, some days, it just feels overwhelming. I'm sure you can agree with that. And it's not just things in my personal life. It's not just things in our personal lives that draw us to prayer. It's also the things that are happening all around us in the world that we live in. I'm sure that you are just like me and that you are both heartbroken and angry. About another senseless school shooting where 19 children and two teachers were killed in Uvalde, Texas. I don't understand it. I don't have words to explain it other than the fact that we live in a sinful, fallen, broken world that is getting worse with every passing day. And so before we spend some time talking about prayer, let's just pause for a few minutes and spend some time in prayer. But before we do that, there's something that I want you to know, and I'm going to tell you in advance that it's going to sound really odd, but I want you to bear with me. When we pray, whether we're praying individually by ourselves or whether we're praying collectively as a group like this, when we pray, our prayers do not need to sound religious. And here's what I mean by that. We need to understand that God is big enough for our questions, and he's big enough for our anger, and he's big enough for our frustration, and he's big enough even at times for things that cause us to have doubts. He's big enough for our complaints. You know, almost 40% of all the Psalms that were written in the Old Testament were our Psalms of lament, where The writers, like David, poured their hearts out to God in brutal, open honesty. They shared their emotions without hanging, without holding anything back or hanging on to anything. And that teaches us and reminds us that we can be honest with God when we pray. 
The Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, when he wrote his Old Testament book, he wrote it at a time when sin was rampant and the nation of Judah was uh, suffering. God's people were suffering because of the sinfulness of those who were in charge and all of the things that were happening around them. And so this is how Habakkuk began his Old Testament book. This is Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. You won't see this on the screen, so just pay close attention to me. He began his book in Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 2 with these words, How long, O Lord? You ever felt that way? How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? This is the man of God, Habakkuk, the man of God bearing the message of God, the man who stood before the people on behalf of God and before God on behalf of the people. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? You can know you need to be honest with God when you pray. I've told you before that we don't pray to change the mind of God or the plan of God or the will of God. We pray to become a part of the mind of God and a part of the plan of God and a part of the will of God. And sometimes we need to be brutally honest for that to happen because if we hold on to our feelings without expressing them, then God is thwarted in the work that he wants to do inside of us. And so I want you to bow with me, and I'm going to just let you have a, a short, quiet time where you can pray, and I encourage you to pray an honest prayer, and then I'll close. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we love you, and as we come to you on this Memorial Day weekend, we are so thankful, and we want to take the time to honor the sacrifice of those who have gone before us, men and women who have given their lives in service to this country, in the service of freedom, and we are so deeply grateful, and we pray for the families of those who have lost their lives, who are still living today, still grieving that loss, we pray comfort and peace in their hearts. And we pray that as a country, we would never, ever stop pausing to remember and be thankful. And as we come to you, we are overwhelmed with so many different emotions. As we have watched on the screens of our televisions and our computers and read the reports of another senseless, stupid, unbelievable school shooting. Where children were murdered, teachers, murdered. And in some ways, we ask the same prayer that Habakkuk asked, how long? How long? 
how many times we know that you are a sovereign God. We know that you created this universe, this world in the beginning to be perfect, to be in complete harmony with who you are. We know that sin has infected this world and every single part of it, and it's filled now with people who are fallen and people who are, are sick and people who are, are, are lost and people who at times are filled with evil. And so we just open up our hearts and we extend our arms to you and we just pray, Lord, help us, help us. Help us to continue to trust in your sovereignty in the midst of unexplainable, what seem to be unexplainable, unthinkable horrors and atrocities. We pray for the families of those who lost their lives, who are heartbroken and overwhelmed with grief in this moment. We pray for those who are afraid. We pray for those who are suffering in the face of this evil. Father, we all have people in our lives who are sick and suffering. We lift them up to you and we pray for their healing and their health. We pray for Reggie Epps tonight, who served as the pastor here at Mount Pleasant for about 10 years before I came and who led this church so well, who's such a great preacher and great leader and led this church in a time of unprecedented growth, who's facing his own health challenge right now, and we pray for healing and health in his life. I pray for my sister-in-law, Jolene, who just finished her first two days of chemo and radiation as she battles this, this brain tumor that is fast-growing and aggressive I pray for her healing and her health, and I know that everyone here has someone that they love and care about, that they're lifting up to you. We pray for our country. We pray for the personal struggles that surround us every day. We pray for your church here at Mount Pleasant. We pray, Father, that you would help us to always seek you and to draw near to you. We pray that you would strengthen marriages and families. And we pray, Father, that we would be obedient to your will. We pray that we would be bold enough to share our faith with others because we understand that anyone who dies separated from you will spend all eternity in that separation. We love you. We need you. And we have nowhere else to turn. And that's okay because you will always be enough. And we pray all this together in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed and said? Amen. Amen. There are two things I want to characterize this message about prayer. First, I want it to be biblical. I remember reading a book several years ago called Jesus' Pattern of Prayer. And the author wrote in the book, the two ultimate tests of spirituality are the study of God's Word and prayer and then went on to say that the study of God's Word comes first because we won't really know how to pray unless we know what the Bible teaches about God, about the will of God, <coughs> excuse me, and about prayer itself. And he wrote, it's God's Word that gives birth to a meaningful prayer life. <coughs> excuse me. 
That's something we need to hang on to because the Bible doesn't just command us to pray. The Bible teaches us about prayer so that we can pray in a way that is effective and in a way that honors God. So number one, I want this message to be biblical. Number two, I want this message to be honest. And I say that because as simple as prayer may seem in that it is just talking to God, and at the end of the day, that's all prayer is, it's talking to God, it can at some times be a struggle. And it can be a struggle because prayer can leave us feeling guilty, and that's something that we don't often talk about, at least not near enough. We, we feel guilty when it comes to prayer. Guilt is a common emotion when it comes to our prayer lives. That's something I understand because there's certainly been times in my life when I have felt guilty with regard to prayer. Guilty because I didn't pray enough. Guilty because I was too busy doing other things. Guilty because uh, I got distracted. Guilty because you fill in the blank. There are no shortage of reasons why we can sometimes feel guilty in our spiritual lives when it comes to prayer. And I'm sure I'm not the only one here who has faced that reality. The truth is there are probably a lot of Christians in this service right now who sometimes struggle with guilt when it comes to prayer. Over the years that I've been the pastor here at Mount Pleasant, I have uh, talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer on multiple occasions as an illustration of Christian commitment. He was a German pastor and a theologian whose stance against Hitler and the Nazi regime in World War II resulted in his arrest and ultimate execution. He was a deeply spiritual man who left a strong influence that Christians continue to feel even today, so many years after his death. And yet, if you read about Bonhoeffer, you'll read that after all he accomplished, he is on record saying that his prayer experience was something to be ashamed of. As great a man of faith as he was, that's his confession when it comes to prayer. The great reformer Martin Luther anguished in prayer. Sometimes he would pray as much as three hours a day, and yet he repeatedly said that he was seldom satisfied with his prayer life. E.M. Bounds, and Alexander McLaren, Hudson Taylor, G. Campbell Morgan, Charles Spurgeon, F.B. Meyer, A.W. Tozer, they may be names that you are not familiar with, but all of them were great men of God, great preachers, great missionaries, great Christian leaders, and yet all of them at some point in their life admitted a deep level of frustration and guilt when it came to prayer. This is the reality of life for so many believers when it comes to prayer. And you know what makes that really sad? What makes that really sad is you don't find any examples of that in the scriptures. You can't read your Bible and find any biblical characters who are recorded as struggling with prayer in the sense that we're talking about right now. And so what happened is the question. How did prayer get this way? Why do so many people feel guilty and why do so many people feel unsatisfied and frustrated when it comes to something that is as seemingly simple as prayer which at the end of the day is just talking to God. Why? The bottom line is prayer, as simple as it is and as powerful as it can be, can sometimes create a lot of questions in our lives. And it can sometimes create a lot of stress in our lives. And as I've already mentioned, it can sometimes create a lot of guilt in our lives. And so here's what I want to do for my remaining time for about 20 minutes. I want to spend the rest of my time talking to you about several reasons why we pray. And my hope is that it will encourage all of us when it comes to our own personal prayer lives. If you're someone who likes to take notes, then write down on whatever you're writing on today this first reason. We pray, number one, to experience friendship with God. 
We pray to experience friendship with God. I want you to look at these words on the screen from David in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. David writes, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? That's David's question. What a great passage that is. And he wrote those words as he, compli- as, he, as he contemplated, rather, one of the single greatest truths of life. And here it is. We have an infinite and eternal God whose greatest desire is to have a close personal relationship, friendship with you and with me, with us. We have an infinite and eternal God whose greatest desire is to have a friendship with all of us. And here's the deal. We have that same desire for God, whether we recognize it or not. Everyone, not just people of faith, but everyone who was created in the image of God has that same desire for God to have a relationship, a friendship with him, whether they recognize it or not. In his book, Prayer, Doesn't Make Any Difference, Philip Yancey quotes psychiatrist Gerald May, who says this, after 20 years of listening to the yearnings of people's hearts, I am convinced that human beings have an inborn desire for God, whether we are consciously religious or not. This desire is our deepest longing and becomes our most precious treasure. Why do you think that is? Well, I already answered that question. That's because all of us were created in the image of God. That's what we're told in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, where we read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And when you're created in the image of God, you're going to have a deep-seated desire for a relationship with him. There will always be people who will deny that because as long as we live in this sinful, fallen world, sin will confuse us and cause us to pursue other things to try to satisfy that deep-seated desire. But only one thing will satisfy that desire, and that's a relationship or a friendship with God. A relationship and friendship with God where we know Him and where we are known by Him. And so the question is, how does that happen? How do we have that personal relationship or that friendship with God? James gives us the answer in real simple terms in James chapter 4 and verse 8. Look at these words on the screen. I want you to read them with me. Let me hear your voices. James says, come near to God and he will come near to you. One more time. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And how do we come near to God, friends? We come near to God, number one, by putting our faith and trust in his son Jesus so that we can have a relationship with God. Putting our faith and trust in his son Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God. And that relationship becomes a friendship. Putting our faith and trust in Jesus so that he becomes the Savior and the Lord of our lives brings us into a relationship or a friendship with God. And then beyond that, we have a relationship and a friendship with God by spending time with him in prayer. It isn't complicated We spend time with God in prayer, and that's how our relationship with God happens. Here's the second thing, the second reason why we pray. We pray to experience the will of God. Write that down somewhere. We pray to experience the will of God. Let me ask you this. How would you answer this question, okay, honestly? Don't have to say it out loud, but how would you answer this question? What's the main reason why most people pray? 
What's the main reason why most people pray? I think we would all agree that most of the time we pray because we want God or we feel like we need God to do something for us or to meet some kind of need in our life or in the life of someone that we love and we care about. And that's okay because the Bible makes it clear that that kind of prayer is not only okay, that kind of prayer is commanded and that kind of prayer works. That's what God wants. He wants us to bring our burdens and our needs and our concerns and our petitions to him. There are lots of examples of that being taught and demonstrated in the scriptures. But here's a follow-up question. Does it work every time? When we take our needs and our concerns and our desires and our problems to God in prayer, does it work every time in the sense that we get an immediate answer from God, that he does exactly what we ask him to do? I'm sure the collective experience of all of us in this service would be no. We would say no. I'm sure that there are times when you have prayed for God to move on your behalf in some situation or to move on behalf of someone that you love and care about in some situation only to be disappointed in the end, at least on some level, because God didn't do what you asked him to do or he didn't do it in the way you asked him to do it or something like that. But here's what we need to understand. One of the most significant purposes of prayer, one of the most significant reasons why we pray, one that we don't always understand at the time of our praying, is to experience the will of God. We pray to experience the will of God. I want you to look at these words on the screen from 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. John writes and says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, everyone say that, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask for of him. Excuse me. What a great promise, right? Somebody say amen to that. What a great promise. Just a tremendous promise, one that fills us with so much confidence and so much hope. But what we need to understand is this. No matter who it is that's doing the praying, no matter how much passion they offer behind the prayer, the Bible makes it clear. We just read it in these two verses. The Bible makes it clear that God moves to answer prayers that are in agreement with his will. Sometimes we forget about that part. God moves to answer prayers that are in agreement with his will. Let me illustrate this in a really silly way. Let's say that you have a daughter. You're the father of a daughter, and you love her dearly, and you understand how important it is to protect her and to steward her life while she is entrusted to your care. And if you're a parent, I don't have to remind you that all we have is a little window of time with these children that God has entrusted to us. Just a little window of time and you blink and it's gone. You know that. So you understand how important it is for you to protect her and steward her life while she's under your care. And so you have rules for your daughter because you love her. And one of the rules you have for your daughter is that she's not allowed to ride in a car with a boy until she's 16 years old. One day she comes to you, the day that you've been dreading. She comes to you and she asks you, no, she pleads with you 
to let her ride in the car with her boyfriend who is 16, but she's only 15. What are you going to do? Well, I don't know what you would do, but I'm a dad of a daughter. She's not 15 years old anymore, but she was once. And if it was me, I would say no. And here's why. I would say no because I love her deeply. I would say no because I understand that a huge part of my role as her father is to protect her because she's only 15 years old. And nothing is going to change my mind about that. Now, do you think she's going to understand and appreciate that in the moment? Probably not. Do you think my saying no will mean that she's going to stop asking and stop pleading? Probably not. Do you think her asking and pleading is going to ever change my answer? Not probably not. No, it won't. And my hope and my prayer is that one day she'll understand and appreciate how much I loved her and how much I cared for her and how seriously I took my job and my responsibility as her father. But that's probably going to take some time. Wouldn't you agree? Because have you ever noticed how most of us only really see and understand the will of God as we look backwards? It's so much harder to see it and understand it in the moment. But when we look back, we begin to see it. And one of our goals as Christians, one of our goals as people of faith should be to become mature enough in our faith that when we pray, regardless of what the need is, when we pray, we make it a priority to acknowledge the will of God in our prayers, to acknowledge the will of God in our prayers. Can you, see, can you think of an example in Scripture where somebody did that? Where somebody went to God with a prayer request but acknowledged that it was the will of God that was most important in the moment? You can. It's a Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. You see it in these words from Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39 when he was praying alone in the garden. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground. He prayed, my father, if it is possible, maybe this cup be taken from me. I don't want to go. I don't want to do this. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be beaten and brutalized and murdered on this cross. If there's any other way, let's do it another way. Take this cup from me. But then he said, yet not as I will, but as you will. And friends, one of the purposes of prayer is to experience the will of God even when we don't recognize that will at the time. And so we need to acknowledge the will of God when we pray. That's what Jesus did. Here's the third reason. We pray to experience the power of God. That's number three. We pray to experience the power of God. When our prayers are in alignment with the will of God, the result can be powerful. And there's lots of examples of this in the Scripture, but let me give you one of my favorites. This is a story in the Old Testament that I fell in love with when I was a 10-year-old camper at Sunset Bible Camp at Greenleaf State Park in Oklahoma when I was a kid, and we went to camp, and every, every year we were divided into teams, and one night was drama night, and your team had to put on a drama, and there was one team who had great leaders and they demonstrated this story in a powerful way. It's a story of Elijah and the contest that he had with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And they tied a, a wire from the top of the water tower at the camp down to the campfire they were using as an altar. 
and they put a lady's stocking on that. They lit it on fire, slid it down that wire, and ignited the fire, and I was like a 9- or 10-year-old kid, and this was a long time ago, so we don't have all the things that wow us today, and I was like, wow. You remember that story? 1 Kings chapter 18. There was an evil king in Israel named Ahab, and he introduced idol worship. The idol, Baal, the false god Baal was the primary one, and there were prophets of Baal, and they were ungodly and, 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 and just as bad as you can be. And, and uh, we don't have time to go into the whole story, but Elijah was standing a, a, against uh, Ahab and all of this idolatry and all this sinfulness, and it came down to a contest on Mount Carmel between the one true God and the God of Baal. And they had altars built up, and they were calling down for God to consume the altars with fire. And the, the prophets of Baal went first, and it's a f- crazy story. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 18, and they, could, they had no success. And so then it was Elijah's turn. And all Elijah did was he prayed. And this was what he prayed. This is 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 37 and 38. This is what he said. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. Note this. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then we read, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Now, here's the question. What? What was it that caused God to answer Elijah's prayer in that moment in such a powerful way, in such a dramatic way? What was it? It wasn't the length of his prayer. Look back there, or look at the screen again, verse 37. It was just a handful of words. It was very brief. It wasn't some kind of emotional display from Elijah because all he did was kneel and pray. What caused God to answer Elijah's prayer is that Elijah tapped into the secret of experiencing God's power by praying according to God's will. God's will was clear in that moment to him. Now, listen close, because as I've already said, I want this study to be honest. I don't want to discourage anyone or confuse anyone or make anyone feel guilty when it comes to praying, especially when it comes to praying this idea of of praying in the will of God. But when we pray according to God's will, God will respond. Now, sometimes he'll respond immediately, and we probably all have stories in our lives where we felt like God responded pretty immediately to our prayer because our prayer was in line with his will. But at the same time, sometimes it will take time. Sometimes God doesn't respond right away. And I don't know about you, but I will tell you, and I can say this with integrity tonight, I have, there, have, there are things that I prayed about for years and years and years before the answer came. And I knew what I was praying for was in line with the will of God because it was clear from the Scriptures, from my study of the Scriptures, that what I was praying about was in line with the will of God. But God did not move immediately. And you know why? Because sometimes the will of God is not just to answer your prayer the way you've asked, but also to work in you while you wait. And we need to understand that. God's, God's will is demonstrated in the answer, but it's also demonstrated in our lives in the waiting. I talked to my brother on the phone this morning because my sister-in-law, Jolene, went on Thursday and Friday, had her first two chemotherapy and radiation treatments for this brain tumor. They removed the brain tumor, but it's a fast and aggressive growing cancer, and oftentimes this comes back, and so they're trying to mitigate that. And there's a lot of fear, and there's a lot of unknown, and there's a lot of things going on. And my brother was talking to me on the phone, and he was real honest about that. And I just, I, just, I just told him, I said, listen, I got a little bit of experience with this. 
and just praying for, for God to bring healing and health to your physical body. But then waiting day after day after day after day to find out if the prayer is going to be answered. And I said, all you got to do, all you can do is focus on these next 30 days and put one step of faith in front of the other and over and over and over and over again. Because sometimes God doesn't just work in giving you the answer, but he works in the waiting. And I'll tell you that I, will, I am not someone, and, and this probably reveals something bad about me, and I'll be honest about that. I am not someone who's going to stand up here and tell you that I'm thankful that God gave me cancer. I don't believe God gave me cancer. I'm thankful that God allowed me to have cancer. But I will tell you that I experienced God in the waiting, and he worked in my life in some powerful ways. We just have to focus on praying the will of God and knowing that even if he doesn't answer right away, that doesn't mean that he won't answer. So listen, prayer warriors, don't you give up. I'm telling you, I've prayed for years for things that I see the answer to today. Don't you give up. Number four, we pray to experience the peace of God. One of my favorite chapters in the New Testament, book of Acts is chapter 16. Um, I'm running out of time, so you don't have to turn there. This is a story of how Paul and Silas got in trouble in uh, Philippi. Some of you have been with me on a trip to Greece and Turkey, and we walked. We literally walked on top of the ruins of Philippi. We even went to a place that they think was where the jail was in the city and where Paul and Silas were found in jail. But they were beaten. They were beaten, and then they were put in, in uh, shackles and placed in this jail. They didn't know what the next moment was going to hold. And Philippians chapter 16 and verse 25 says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Can you imagine that setting? Okay, they'd just been beaten, severely flogged, the Bible says. Now they're in shackles in this place, this dark, dank place, not knowing what the future held. And yet they were praying and they were singing hymns to God. And so you ask the question, how could they be praying and singing at a time like that? And here's the stock answer that you often hear. The stock answer has always been that the, their prayer and their praise were the result of the incredible peace that they felt in spite of the situation. In other words, people will say that Paul's unwavering confidence in God's control over his life gave him the ability to even sing and pray in the worst possible circumstance. But while that sounds good, according to the Bible, that's backwards words because prayer and praise weren't the result of Paul's peace they were the source of Paul's peace we pray to experience the peace of God look at these words written by Paul Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7 don't do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God and the peace of God and the what and the peace of God will transcend all under, that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, notice these three words. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests. Three critical words. And the result is the peace of God, which transcends 
all understanding. Each one of those words, prayer, petition, and request, is a reference for a specific and direct communication with God. And Paul is saying that when something comes into your life that has the power to create anxiety or fear or stress or whatever else it might be, the first thing, everyone say first thing, first thing you do is you take that to God in some kind of a specific and direct manner. But Listen to me really close. And if you don't remember anything else, this might be something to hang on to. But, and this is something that many of us fail to do, you don't just take it to God. You got to leave it with God. Somebody say amen to that. You don't just take it to God. You've got to leave it with God. Why? Because you trust in the promises of God, friends. You trust in promises like Romans 8, 28, where Paul says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. You trust in promises like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where again, Paul wrote, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You trust in promises like this one from Peter in 1 Peter 5, 10, where he says, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. What you're going through right now will not last forever. You trust in that kind of promise. And you experience peace as a result. This is what happens when you take your concerns to God and you, by faith, trust him at his word. Number five, this is the last one. We pray to experience God's glory. I want you to go ahead and take your Bible and, and let me hear pages turning to the Gospel of Matthew in the sixth chapter. I'm sorry. Uh, this is a message of selected scriptures, so we haven't just landed in one passage and studied that passage. We're looking at several different places in several different places tonight. But you go to Matthew chapter six. This is the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to scroll down there to verse nine, and uh, I, I want us to look at verses nine through thirteen. And if you don't have a Bible with you, I'm going to put these words up on the screen. This is a very familiar passage where Jesus uh, gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer. Beginning in verse 9, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now listen, friends. If you were to study that prayer, I mean really study that, you were just to start looking at it, reading it over and over again, asking yourselves questions about it, that's how we understand the passage of Scripture. That, then when, as you examined it, you would have to come to this conclusion. The heart of prayer is God the Father. The heart of prayer is God the Father. So when we pray, we pray to experience God our Father. We pray, if you look at the prayer, we pray to experience his holiness. We pray to experience his kingdom. We pray to experience his will. We pray to experience his provision. We pray to experience uh, his forgiveness. We pray to experience his deliverance and on and on and on. And so the first purpose of prayer is God. 
And the first priority of prayer is God. We pray to experience God. And when we pray with that kind of understanding, then our prayers will leave us with an overwhelming sense of the glory of God. But that only happens when we make God and not ourselves the focus of our prayers. And so here's a suggestion. The team can come and we'll close this part of the service. When we pray, instead of praying, God bless me, maybe we should pray, God, let me bless you with the way that I live. Let my life bless you. Instead of saying, God, protect me, maybe we should pray, God, use me. And instead of praying, God, be with me, maybe we should pray, God, live in me. And we make God the focus of our prayers because that's what the Bible teaches us to do. So let's just close like this. Let's just pray that way. I'm not going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes because you know what? That's a church made up thing. It's not a bad thing. But how many of you were in Sunday school like I was and you you heard these words? Every head bowed and every eye closed, you know? And so somebody put the fear of God in me. I was like a three-year-old. But we're going to pray with our heads up, and we're going to pray with our eyes open, and we're going to pray with these simple words. You say them with me, and then I'll close, and we'll move to the next part of our service. Here's our prayer. You ready? God, let me bless you with the way I live my life. God, use me. God, live in me. Father in heaven, we love you. And we love to draw near to you. And there's no greater way to draw near to you once we put our faith and trust in Jesus, your son, than to talk to you and spend time with you in prayer. And we just scratch the surface on the reasons why we pray and how powerful prayer can be in our lives. And I pray that... uh, that there's, there's truth or at least some portion of truth that has really struck our hearts and struck a nerve, a spiritual nerve with us in this service so that it challenges us with the way that we pray. Above all else, help us to know that we pray because you are God and you are our Father. You are our hope. You are our rock, you are our help and our deliverer, and on and on and on. And so help us to be mature enough in our faith to understand that when we pray, even when we have the deepest of needs and burdens and concerns, that our focus and our priority in prayer, first and foremost, is drawing near to you and honoring you. Thank you for being a God who hears our prayers and who can be trusted with the deepest needs of our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's go ahead and stand. And if you're a prayer counselor in this service, would you come on down right now so you can be clearly seen? And as we sing this song before we're dismissed, If you're carrying around some kind of a prayer burden in your life, will you come and just let somebody pray with you and pray for you? Will you take a step toward God, which will give him the opportunity to take a step toward you? What the Bible say in James chapter 4 and verse 8? Come near to God and he will what? 
come near to you. Will you come near to him by just letting somebody know about a need in your life and praying for you? You do that as we sing. If you're a prayer counselor, I need you to come down now. I don't know if I made that clear or not, but I need you to come down now. If you're not a prayer counselor, but nobody comes, I need you to come down now.